You're listening to Asbury University's Chapel Podcast, recorded live from our campus in Wilmore, Kentucky. Asbury's Chapel Service hosts speakers from around the world to inspire academic excellence and spiritual vitality. We hope you enjoy today's message. Uh, hello, my name's Catherine Fitch, as many of you just heard. Um, you can call me whatever you want, just don't call me late for dinner. Anybody heard that before? Thank you, thank you. My dad used to say that. Uh, so. Um, I've dreamed of the day that I would get to stand up here and do some chapel shout-outs, so we all know what I'm going to say first. Shout-out to the appointed class. Shout-out to the First West of Kresge. Shout-out to all my buddies out there. You know who you are. Woo! So the other night, uh, I was at my uncle's house for dinner, and I was talking about chapel with all of them, and I was asking them to tell me some funny dad jokes so I could start chapel off on a lighthearted note because the reason I'm up here today talking is about something intimate and personal. I will be talking about loss, more specifically the loss of my father. But before I begin discussing that, I'd like to go back to that dinner conversation at my house, my uncle's house. (laughs) My uncle interrupted our conversation about jokes to say, hey, you know your dad passed out on that stage, right? I said, no, okay, you know how gullible I am. I said, I would have known something like that. Uh, But sure enough, the same man that I'll be talking about today stood at his brother's wedding up here on this stage, locked his knees too hard, and consequently ate dirt, or carpet, I guess. (laughs) My prayer today is that I do not, in fact, pass out like my father. I hope instead I can share some of my story with you. Because just six months ago, while we were all in our spring semester of classes, I was driving back and forth between my home and Virginia, nine hours away. Each time I came home, to my father who was on hospice, and each time he was closer and closer to being called home to heaven. Oftentimes, our pain and suffering is invisible to the eye. We have all experienced some kind of loss, so today I stand here wearing my heart on my sleeve and sharing not just about my loss, but the end of one season and the beginning of a new one. Most importantly, I want to encourage all of us today about how these new seasons are meant to empower us and to test us and to hopefully show you how much light can come out of these. So as I begin, I'd like to introduce the main character in this story, my father, formerly known as Drew Fitch, Emily and Leonard Fitch's son, Donna Fitch's IGA, anyone? Yeah. (laughs) Informally known as Drewbert, Diddy, and Papa. My good buddy Drewbert stood at about six feet tall. His hands were calloused from a lifetime of hard work. His shoulders slumped over humbly. His cheeks were rosy and his smile was kind and loving. His smile lines were prominent but not harsh. You'd often find him wearing his favorite jean button-down dad shirt, his Carhartt pants, and his cowboy boots, something that he would have called country cool. (laughs) My He was highly admired and respected in the business world for his work ethic and the integrity of that which he created. He is known for his love and compassion and was never quick to judge. His heart was humble even in the midst of trial. He took them as they came and never asked why they came, but asked God for help and asked guidance instead. My father would work tirelessly and would not rest until he knew that his family was taken care of. My dad and I were two peas in a pod. Now before we come to the part of the story that really turned our world upside down, I'd like to share something first. I've always tried to help each of my family members and friends in their times of need, So I had always bottled up my own feelings and emotions. I thought I always had to be strong for everyone else, so that's what I did. 
I had trouble depending on people because up until this point in my life, no matter how much I helped people, I still never felt like I did enough. I'll come back to this part later. So back to that part that turned our world upside down. In January 2016, my father was diagnosed with small cell lung cancer. My dad was not a smoker, and unfortunately, this type of lung cancer was both rare and even more aggressive than normal lung cancer for a non-smoker. Over the span of three years, his cancer had spread from his lungs to his brain to his bones to pretty much everywhere. Each time it spread, it was a separate story, another heartbreak, another time where I felt hopeless. But I'd still try and do anything in my power to save my father, even though I know I didn't have that control. Even now, I forget that there was life before all of the sickness. Granted, life was no easier in that time, but those trials were different. My friends and I used to joke that literally every year something would happen to my family. We always wondered what the theme of the year would be. I know that God gave me and my family those trials, so we'd be prepared to walk through this together as a family. We needed those trials to be prepared for this past January. This past January, after being in and out of the hospital all Christmas break, my father was finally sent home on hospice. I felt defeated. I felt alone. I can't explain with words what it felt like for me to have to prepare myself to lose my father, even though I had been pre-grieving for three years, which had its own set of guilt and remorse. It felt so wrong to prepare myself to lose him. I felt guilty for living my own life. But I was bracing myself for the biggest loss that I would ever face, and bracing myself for the fact that not only would I lose him, but I would have to watch him get weaker and weaker until he took his last breath. Mid-February, I made a trip home and could see how quickly his condition had progressed. I sat by his bedside in the dining room of all places and full-out ugly cried. He asked me if I was scared, and I said, well, sure, Dad, of course I am. I asked him if he was, and he was honest. He was scared, but he knew where he was going, and he had fought the good fight. After that trip, he told me goodbye and told me that he loved me, and that would be the last time I would hear my father's voice and the last time that I would hear him say, I love you. I came back to school, and after only two days of being back at Asbury, I turned right back around because it was time. I got in the car and drove nine hours home, knowing that my father may or may not be alive when I got there. I asked God to equip me with courage and strength because I was about to sit by my father's bedside and watch him slowly transition into his new life, a life free of pain, a life with God, but I was still not ready to let him go. After three years of a miracle and constant prayer surrounding my dad, I expected him to get out of that hospice bed and walk. Of course, it didn't happen the way I wanted it to, but I've seen so much light, even in the disappointment of an unanswered prayer. I finally made it home. He held on for four more days after my return. For four days, my family gathered around my father and prayed and cried and even managed to laugh. I can't explain to you how swollen my eyes were, and how heavy my chest felt, but I can tell you how much light were in those moments. My father could not speak or move. He had lost all function, and in those moments of absolute despair, he heard my cry. One last time, he opened his eyes, and I know in that moment, the look in his eyes, he saw Jesus. I knew where he was going. After all, that day was Sunday, and every Sunday he used to say, well, hey, Catherine, what day is it? And I'd say, oh, well, it's hold hands and skip day. So we'd hold hands and skip into church every Sunday. I told him on Sunday, February 17th, if he wanted to hold hands and skip with Jesus, he could, but only if he was ready. 
That evening, at 6.17, he held hands and skipped with Jesus all the way up to the pearly gates of heaven. And in those silent moments, after his passing, I could hug my father again without pain. I could hold his hands again without discomfort. I could sigh a breath of relief. He was alive again without pain for the first time in three years. So remember that part from earlier that I said I'd come back to? Well, yes, no matter how hard I tried, I could not save my father or anyone else I tried to help before that because saving them is not my job. Ignoring my feelings and having to constantly be strong for everyone else is not my job. After realizing all of this and my absolute exhaustion, I became numb from the loss. I was numb because even after trying as hard as I could, I couldn't save him. It felt like I let another person down. In this time, I developed a real problem where I had to control every little thing. I studied harder than I ever had. My workouts were planned to the second. So was my schedule. I didn't know why I felt the need to do all of this. I just wanted all my ducks in a row, and I, I couldn't lose one more thing. I just wanted to protect myself. For months, I was in shock that my father had died, and when you're in shock, you're running on adrenaline, but when that adrenaline wears off, you realize that how well you thought you were doing was really the adrenaline, not you. For months, I tried controlling my life because my entire life, I had to brace myself for the next thing that would seemingly go wrong. But I didn't have to brace myself anymore. I think this is the first sense of normal that I've ever really felt. At this point in time, after all these realizations, I've learned a couple things that I think may be helpful to share. I've now learned that when we are handed a new trial like loss, it's a lot easier to accept it with open arms and ask how we can use it. I know that there are people here today who have had to watch their loved ones slip away too, or others who have not lost someone to death, but have lost someone that they thought would always be there. Loss is losing someone that you thought would always be there, whether it's to death or not. Just as we go through seasons of loss and growth, these symbolize the end of one season and the beginning of a new one. Together, we have all entered into a new season to life. We have come to college wanting to learn and grow. I challenge you to courageously accept the pain and suffering, or whatever may come your way, and do more than ask for God's help. Ask him to equip you with his strength. Do not fear the unknown, because God has already planned your journey. Be willing to accept that plan. The truth is we're all starting to wake up to the fact of how real and how hard life is. Life's here now, and it's hitting pretty hard in every different way. My verse I leave you with is one that reminds me of my dad, and I'll say that this is my hope for all of us when we face death. Matthew 25:16. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. I leave you with this to empower you to be courageous, to do hard things, be a good and faithful servant. Let God equip you with his armor and go forth empowered because you have been given the gift of trial. Do not be crippled by fear and use it because no one else sitting around you has been given the same trial that you have. That means that you are unique and God is calling you by name. I'm not going to ask you if you're ready to dive into the unknown or ready to face things that scare you, whether it's loss or anything else. I'm going to tell you that you are because you were literally born ready. God has already written your story, but it's up to you to accept it and to use it. Thank you. Good morning, Asbury. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Ethan Searles. I <laughs>
I am a member of the appointed class. And I am the proud RA of Moose Hall. All right, so I'm going to begin today by reading from James chapter 1, verses 20 through, 22 through 27. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. And this is the verse I really want you guys to hear this morning. Verse 27. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Now, a little bit of a confession. I am a small control freak. So when I read a verse like this, I find it much easier to be the person that people rely on than be the person that relies on other people. And to be honest with you, most of my life, I wasn't the person that had to rely on people. I had a great family. I had two parents who loved me and loved each other. We didn't really struggle for much until my dad got sick. Around Easter my freshman year, my dad got a stomach bug, and we thought nothing of it because that's about the time of year that everyone gets a stomach bug, but it stuck around. So my parents decided to send my dad to the doctor. And because of the person I am, the worst thought possible immediately came to mind, and I thought, what if he has colon cancer? But luckily I was able to kind of push that thought behind because I thought, nah, that's too outrageous, that's too extreme. Well, on April 6th, my question was, questions were answered. My mom sent a text to myself and my brother that said, guys, the biopsies show cancer and it's on his liver. With that one text, two things were revealed to me. One, my fear that I thought was too outrageous and too extreme to be true was true. My dad had colon cancer. And two, because it was on his liver, that means it was already stage four because it had spread. Now, when you find stage four late, like we did, it starts a very fast and very terrible process. And that's exactly what it was. Another text that my mom sent myself and my brother kind of sums up what we were going through in that time. She said, Ethan is done with freshman year. Yay. Eric, my brother, is close to being done with junior year. I'm so proud of you both. I so hate that all of this horrible stuff is going on for us right now, but we know God is in control. So here we were in this time of life where we were supposed to be celebrating things. The end of a school year for myself and my brother, but we couldn't because we were in the middle of this awful, awful time. We were confused. It was a fast process. And the process only got worse when six weeks later, we learned that my dad only had seven to 10 days left to live. And that was May 19th. Two days later, May 21st, was my 18th birthday. So again, I was supposed to be celebrating a day. I was an adult, but I couldn't celebrate because I was grieving. I was saying goodbye to my dad, essentially. And it only got worse when on that same day, my 18th birthday, I had to look my brother in the eye as he told me that my dad only had a few hours left to live. So imagine what I was going through when I was supposed to be celebrating, but instead, not only was I, was, was I grieving, I was saying goodbye to my father for the last time. It wasn't easy, and I was in a lot of pain, 
And then the next day, May 22nd, my dad passed away. And from the moment of my dad's passing until his funeral only a couple days later, that was when all the feelings of confusion caught up to me that had happened in those past six weeks. Because the process was so fast and so confusing, I really didn't get to feel what was happening in that time. But in the three days I had between his passing and his funeral, I felt all of it. I felt the pain, the confusion, the deep, deep hurt. And then after the funeral, my real experience with grief began. In one of my counseling sessions with the grief counselor that I had soon after my dad died, I learned about how the human brain does this thing when going through extreme grief where it shuts down. It goes on autopilot. I didn't feel any emotions, good or bad. And when I felt any, they weren't fun. I was watching as everyone in my life lost someone that was close to them. I lost my father, my brother lost his father, my mom lost her husband, my grandparents lost their son. And I couldn't feel any of it. I would do something that I loved doing with my dad, and I couldn't be sad that I couldn't do it anymore. Or I would do something that I loved doing with my dad, and I couldn't be happy because my dad wasn't there. I was confused, I was hurting, and I didn't know exactly how to put a feeling on what I was going through. And growing up in the church, I heard this term, peace that passes all understanding, a lot, but I never really got to experience it until we started going through this process. I already read James 127 for you guys, but what I didn't mention is that only four months before he passed away, my dad shared that verse with our church. The reason he shared it is because they were doing a sermon series about life verses, and that was the life that my dad lived, or that was the verse that my dad chose to live his life by, looking out for orphans and widows. It's very fitting. He had a chance to share with all of us in our church and in our family and in our friends what he wanted his life to look like, and only four months later, they got a chance to show us that they were going to live that out too. Peace was not something I expected to hear a lot, or feel a lot, in that time. But it came up every now and then. My family and I became helpless, so we needed someone to help us. My mother was a widow, and my, father, my brother and I were fatherless. We needed help. Again, coming back to my birthday, the reason that I had to grieve even harder was because it was my birthday. And people wanted to celebrate that with me. Some of my friends from Asbury were at my house that day. And when I told them that my dad only had a few hours left to live, they didn't leave. They looked me in the eye and asked me if they wanted to stay. They weren't going to let me be alone. They were helping me in my time of need. Later that night, I experienced more peace than I ever thought possible, even in regular life. As I was trying to fall asleep on our bed, on our couch in the living room, which I definitely didn't sleep that night, I looked around and noticed that there were people surrounding us. My friend Thomas was asleep on the couch next to me. My brother and his friend were trying to fall asleep on an air mattress on the floor. There were eight or ten people in the room next to us, settling down for the night. The reason I wasn't in my own room is because my grandparents were in that room sleeping. And in my brother's room, my other grandparents were also sleeping. And then in my mom and dad's room, my mom was sitting with my dad as he fought for his life. 
In that moment, I looked around and I realized that I was not alone in this time of need. Even though I was grieving, even though I was hurting, we weren't alone. People were helping us in our time of need. The orphans and the widows. When my dad became unresponsive, the nurses told us that he could still hear what was going on, and he, they encouraged us to tell him that we were going to be okay. And to be honest with you, I really struggled to say that to him before this moment. But as I sat there that night and looked around and saw that our family was being truly held up by the people around us, I had no problem telling my dad that we were going to be okay. Because we were. It was going to be hard, it was going to be difficult, but we were going to be okay. One more time that I felt peace that truly passed all understanding was right here in Hughes. I'm not kidding when I tell you that the first person that managed to make me cry after my dad's funeral was Greg Hasselhoff. <laughs> I was a tag leader last year, and at the end of tag training week, we had a commissioning service for the leaders, the student leaders on campus. And at the end of the service, they had us come down and meet with the adult leaders on campus and that, so that they could pray over us. And they told us to think of a word that would explain what our semester was going to be. So I was standing in this aisle right over here, and as I came down, I was trying to think of something, but I couldn't. And I'm sure I was surrounded by people saying words such as excited or ambitious or ready. And when I got up here, stood next to Greg, the only word I could think of was scared. I was scared. Scared to go one more day without my dad. Scared that I wouldn't have someone to ask advice for about girls. Scared that I wouldn't hear his voice again hear his laugh again. I wouldn't get to hug my dad again. You see, my dad was a towering five foot three. <laughs> but he could fill a room better than any man twice his size. But that was gone from my life. As I said that I was scared and I broke down for the first time, I walked over that way in the senior section. And I mentioned that it was tag training week, so all the other tag leaders were there. And I wasn't even able to make it to my seat before someone stopped me to give me a hug. Soon after that, another person gave me a hug. Before I could even know what was happening, I was surrounded by every tag leader in the room, holding me when I was helpless, reminding me that I wasn't alone. One last thing that brought me peace was the song, It Is Well. For those of you that don't know, it is my class's class hymn. And when we got the hymn, it really didn't mean much to me. I knew there was a cool story behind it about a man who lost his whole family. And even in the midst of that, he knew it was well because God was with him. But it didn't impact me that much. Until, at my dad's funeral, a choir made of people that either were in a choir with him, were in a choir that he led, or just friends of his that wanted to honor him, sang it. In the midst of this pain and grief, I was singing a song about how it is well in the midst of it. And I realized how true it was. So going forward in my life, I know I'm never gonna get rid of this grief. It's always gonna be a part of who I am. There's never gonna be a day I don't miss my dad. I'm still scared. 
but because I have friends and family in my life that won't let me be alone when I'm struggling. Even when life is, just seems too hard to go through, even when grief is overcoming me, I know that because of my friends and family, it is well with my soul. I want to close by reading for you the first stanza of the hymn, It Is Well. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well. It is well with my soul. Thank you.